Jennifer West. I am the Artistic Director of Muse West Concerts and I'm located on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Simultooth and Squamish Coast Salish Nations um, in English known as Vancouver. And um, we are joined today by Alex and Raylan and Naomi <laughs> from Tangram. So um, Alex, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're situated? And if you want to greet our Mandarin-speaking audience in Mandarin, you can do that too, or Cantonese. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. Um, yeah, th thank you very much for having me, firstly. Um, my, my parents are from Hong Kong, so I, I'm not a Mandarin speaker. Um, but you know, <laughs> to, to the Cantonese speakers out there, it's, it's a joy to be with you today. Um, so yeah, along with Raylan, I am one of the co-directors for uh, Tangram, which is a London-based artist collective. Um, my normal practice is as a composer and I'm currently based in London where I'm studying for a PhD in composition. I just come to the end of my first year, which is very uh, exciting and slightly stressful. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I've just moved house. In fact, I was just saying earlier, uh, from East to West London. And I, as someone who was brought up in London, that kind of represents the biggest distance I've, tra I've traveled, which as you will hear is nothing compared to, compared to Raylan. <laughs> and where are you studying for your PhD in composition? Uh, I'm studying at the Royal College of Music. Okay. Wonderful. And Raylan, you're also in London. Yes. Hi, everybody. 欢迎大家。我是钱瑞龙. My name is Raylan Yant, and I'm co-director of Tangram, and I play the Yangqin, which is the Chinese hammered dulcimer. I'm originally from San Francisco, and I've been living in London for three years, um, initially to pursue two master's degrees in music and now just to um, pursue music. And, and work with the amazing artists in Tangram, which has been such a privilege. And we're really excited to share a bit more of our story with you today. So thanks for having us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, I've seen a few of your recent performances online and um, it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. And I think that your music and your projects are bringing up a lot of topics that are very current and very important, um, especially with um, the current political climate that we're seeing and hearing. Um, it's very pertinent to have these discussions that I think your performances are prompting. And I picked up right away on the fact that Alex was like, my family's from Hong Kong. And this is a really great springboard actually, um, because a lot of people are not very aware of like, people can be, of Chinese or Han descent, but live in different parts of the world and have very different experiences. Um, so for example, people living in Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong, Taiwan, different provinces of mainland China, um, different parts of North America and everywhere else in the world would have a very different experience of what it means to be quote unquote Chinese. Um, so, Absolutely. And I, I recognized that instantly when Alex was like, my family's from Hong Kong. <laughs> um, so, and in Vancouver, we have people from all of those groups, which has been a great experience. Do you want to tell us more, and anybody can jump in, on how Tangram addresses the experience of being, quote unquote, Chinese in different contexts? Hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I, I can kick things off. I'm really glad that you raised that um, point. And it's something that Raylan and I were discussing with the artists in Tangram just a few days ago. Um, but the idea of having an artist collection that focuses on um, this notion of, of Chinese um, is is very much something that we see as a question as opposed to a category. And so the work that we do and, and the music that we create aims to explore what Chinese-ness means and the qualities of being of Chinese heritage for its multiplicity and for its heterogeneity. I think something that has um, definitely marked my upbringing, I think, as I'm someone who was brought up in the UK and in London, um, you know, you constantly see these stereotypes, which essentially just homogenize what, what Chinese is, what Chinese experiences and what the experiences of Chinese people are. Um, and so within Tangram, we have um, artists from mainland China, artists who are born in the West of Chinese heritage, artists from Taiwan, artists from Hong Kong. And so even within the group, we already have this diversity just in the, the members that make up the collective. Um, and so that that's something that really we try to um, highlight in our work. And it, it, I guess in a form of celebration more, more than anything. And that's, that's really important because in the various friendships and that I've had with people who um, are of Chinese descent but from different parts of the world, um, I've been able to experience the richness of different linguistic traditions, different cuisine. Um, so even friends from Malaysia will have different cuisine that they offer and Singapore. Um, and I was lucky enough to travel to China in 2018 and I went, started in Beijing, and then a very long, crazy story uh, that involves someone being very nice helping me charge my phone. I was able to go to Xi'an. <laughs> my travel agent hadn't booked the correct train. It's a long story, but I ended up in Xi'an safely, and I got to see the Bingmaiyong, so I was very mm. happy. And then I traveled to Suzhou and Shanghai, and I got to experience in just four cities four very different temperatures. Um, it was shocking. I was bundled up in Canadian winter clothes in Beijing and freezing, and then in Shanghai, it was plus 30 um, in the same two-week period. So I got to experience so much different cuisine, different dialects, and I came back to Canada and said, okay, and I was aware of the diversity in China, but then to know that even within a five-hour train ride would be so different was very enriching. What are your thoughts on how Tangram gives voices to this diverse experience of being Chinese, Raylan? What were your thoughts? Yeah. It's so great to hear about your experience of the, you know, wide world that is mainland China in itself. And at Tangram, we think of ourselves as not just a collective, but as a movement exploring the richness and multiplicity of transnational Chinese experience. From the very beginning, um, with Naomi, who is uh, our pianist and who's based in Winnipeg, we've been, we've been thinking about the ways in which this is an exploration and this is um, an opening up of new cultural spaces that we are embarking on. And um, I think what we're finding 
just you know within our collective, we have artists who are from Hong Kong, Taiwan, um, uh, Xi'an, and uh, you know me from San Francisco. My mom's from Beijing. We have people from all over, and we really enjoy talking about how our experiences of being Chinese are different. And um, I think what we're finding in this exploration of transnational Chinese culture is what brings us together is um, actually this kind of amorphous idea of what Chinese is. And it's something that's constantly changing and shifting. And like Alex said, it's it's more of a question than anything else. Um, and especially in the age of globalization and in the age of social media, when cultural flows are happening every which way at accelerating speeds, it becomes very complicated to say what Chinese even means. Um, just today, I was actually reading this article that I'm going to quote, um, or a text that it quotes within a collection called At Home in the Chinese Diaspora, edited by Kun Eng Kwa Pierce and Andrew Davidson. There's this great quote in here by the editors where they say, the diasporic community leads migrants to fix in their minds a mental image of their amorphous communal affinity and bind it together with cultural artifacts and social constructs. So in other words, we have this vague idea of what Chineseness is, but nobody actually knows what it really is. And it, in the end, it just comes down to specific customs and cultural artifacts, or maybe performances, ideas, memories um, that we share that make us feel like we're a part of a community, even if we aren't located in the same place. And so that's that's what we try to do with our work is generate these beautiful performances to create that that shared space, but to also kind of reveal all of these different kinds of difference that exist um, in between all of us. And I think um, at the end of the day, it's the relationships that we have individually that create the roots of this transnational community. How important are music and food as cultural artifacts for creating this community? I had to bring in food because I had the best food ever in China. <laughs> Ironically, I had delicious Cantonese food in Suzhou. Um, <laughs> it was so fresh. And we have very, very good Chinese cuisine in Vancouver. Um, pretty parallel to San Francisco in terms of diaspora. So how important are music and food as cultural artifacts to making community? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. I mean, just to kind of bring, bring that straight into Tangrounds experiences, I think pretty much, Benny, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think with every single project that we've done, it, it's started off in some way or the other um, with a, a meal <laughs> where all of the performing artists or in that project or that concert um, will just go to a Chinese restaurant where, where we'll, we'll eat. Um, and I guess maybe maybe it's not a coincidence then that our, our brilliant flautist, Daniel Xiao, his dad actually owns quite a few um, restaurants in London's Chinatown. And so we're kind of doing the tour um, mm -hmm. of these <laughs> restaurants and the food is the food is brilliant um, and I guess on a personal level I have to say that my 
experience and knowledge of uh, mainland uh, Chinese food was very limited and, <laughs> until I'd, I'd really met Raylan and all of the Tangram artists. And I, I think for me, I'd always disassociated Chinese food as kind of Cantonese cuisine and dim sum and so for me like that that has actually been such a lovely a lovely experience like co-directing tangram and as part of that enriching my own kind of culinary experience <laughs> same here i was i was pretty surprised at some of the things i was able to sample in xian <laughs> and beijing as well i wasn't so surprised by some of the food i had in uh, shanghai or suzhou um, I have to say my favorite cuisine was in Suzhou. It was, it was so light, wasn't too oily, um, really fresh, just so flavorful. Um, but yeah, being in Vancouver has also shown me um, different aspects of Chinese cuisine and uh, I'm still working on my Sichuan tolerance. My friends tease me mm. mercilessly. Um, my close friends are allowed to tease me for being white and not able to handle the spicy food. <laughs> but we have we have enough safety in our friendship that they're allowed to they're allowed to tease me about that. Um, but Raylan, how would you say musical ingredients bring Tangram together to create this continuous question of transnational identity? That's a great question. We. Um... As musicians, we've each walked our own paths navigating Chinese and Western cultures. And um, for myself personally, I play a Chinese instrument and I've been doing that in the US and the UK. And it's been fascinating to see people's reactions to an instrument um, that a lot of them haven't heard of before. Um, because for a lot of people, it kind of opens up their idea of what Chinese is. You know, I've had people come up to me after performances and say, I had no idea that's what Chinese music sounded like. And I didn't realize I would like Chinese music. <laughs> um, people have, you know, a very specific sound in mind sometimes when they think of what Chinese music is and they don't realize that that's just one, that's like a meme that was like circulated a couple decades ago. And um, there are so many different kinds of Chinese music. What we do in our collective is we create and curate a lot of new music um, as well as reimagine traditional Chinese um, melodies into new works. And um, what's great about music is that it goes beyond language. It's a way for you to listen to someone, even if you can't communicate with them verbally. Um, and it opens up a sort of field of connection that is an alternative to our day-to-day -day ways of talking to each other and relating to each other. Um, so by making new music, it's, we, we like to explore new soundscapes and that I think helps us imagine um, new worlds, new futures beyond the uh, traditional kind of um, ideas that have been instilled in us through the media. So, 
you know, this idea, the, the, the main one being that China and the West are mutually exclusive, you know, that they're two different things. And in reality, every single one of us in the collective as transnational Chinese people have lived lives that have gone across and around and between both the world that is China and, and Chinese cultures and Western cultures. So when we express ourselves through music, we can very confidently say like, this is both Chinese and Western. This thing that you are hearing, this feeling that you are feeling, this story that we're telling you is both. Um, and we just love that kind of um, adventure because it's, it's just filled with so much possibility and um, musically it's really fun and, and yields really new kinds of sounds. And I feel it's very authentic presenting that identity of transnational because it isn't just experiencing East on its own or West on its own. They are intersecting all the time and how they intersect um, is is an important thing to consider. Um, and I was smiling the whole time you're talking about memes about Chinese traditional music. So what you're telling us is that there's more beyond the Butterfly Lovers Concerto. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Great Concerto. <laughs> it is a great we Concerto, love, but there's more. <laughs> we love ourselves some Butterfly Lovers, but there's a lot, there's a lot more out there. And also, I, I forgot, I, sh I guess I should mention um, that, you know, our collective is made up of musicians and composers of both Chinese and Western instruments. So musically, that's what we're dealing with is um, Western instruments like flute and piano and um, Chinese instruments like the yangqin and the arhu. And we have a percussionist who's amazing who plays both Chinese and Western percussion. So that's the kind of music, those are the musical ingredients for our performances. And um, before we hear an ingredient of this performance, Alex, can you tell us as a composer, um, and you can get pretty technical here if you want, we have a fairly advanced audience. Are you taking pentatonic elements? Are you taking rhythmic elements? How are you taking ingredients from the uh, flavors available to you in Eastern music and applying that to what you present finally in Tangram? Mm, yeah, that, that, that's such a great question. Um, and of course, the, the possibilities are, are truly endless. Um, I, I think I, I, I would hesitate to say that I, I use um, Eastern musical flavors like, like that. I think I, I, I like to think that it's, it's slightly more um, organic in my process. And so whilst there, there are definitely um, pieces which you could identify passages which use a pentatonic um, scale, um, there will always be kind of a, um, an explicit reason behind using a pentatonic scale, not, not necessarily just to um, evoke some sense of China, which, which I think actually historically has, has been quite um, problematic, particularly with Western composers, um, assuming that pentatonism equals China, equals Chinese music, when um, in, in fact it's much richer than that. Um, and so recently in my music, I, I've tried to um, explore this element of transnational identity by thinking about um, thinking about broader themes and then think about how that might be represented in music. So for instance, what a piece which I 
um, had written for Raylan, along with some players from the London Symphony Orchestra, um, was very much a piece about a theme of distance, um, which is kind of represented in the in the performance setting quite literally with like kind of Raylan performing the Yang Chin and it was scored for um, viola and clarinet, two very classical Western instruments and kind of creating that distance quite literally between. So in the performance space, this theme of distance was evoked. Um, and then within that, there were kind of musical um, parameters which I'd given myself in terms of kind of pitch content and texture that were designed structurally, I guess, to, again, evoke a sense of distance. Um, and so I, I guess, like, the short answer is that I, I'm not sure if there are... I, I'm not sure if I would ever start with an Eastern musical element, whatever that might might be, but instead think about the themes which I'm interested in. And these would be themes that are derived from thinking about transnational identity and experience, and then kind of portraying that through musical parameters. And it's very interesting because I find um, that what you're talking about musically is something that, you know, a few of my friends will will talk about these things, about their identity. Um, I, I do have a lot of friends um, who have Chinese background and, you know, will be talking about something. And some of them will say, well, you know, Jen, just because I am Chinese doesn't mean I can read this menu well. Or just because I am Chinese doesn't mean I have this experience. And again, it's, it's very humbling to be reminded that not everyone's experience is the same. And um, I have taken about a year of Mandarin lessons. It's very poor progress. I'm the worst it's great. Man- no, I'm the worst Mandarin <laughs> student. <laughs> um, it's much better than mine. <laughs> that's very kind of you. Um, but you know, it's interesting because when I was in China, I was very eager to practice. Um, and actually, well, I needed to at certain points because people didn't speak English, which is really forces you to practice. And they were very surprised. And I'm wondering, Raylan, um, you must have an American parent. Do you, is one of your parents American? Yes, my dad is um, white and he's from rural Pennsylvania. Whoa. Are people surprised when they hear your very advanced Mandarin? They are. So I grew up in a bilingual, bicultural household, Chinese-American. My, both my parents were so encouraging of me and my sister to learn Chinese, learn Chinese music, learn Chinese martial arts, stay in touch with our heritage. And I was very lucky to go to a bilingual school. So my pronunciation surprises a lot of people. And um, it's like almost invariably (laughs) when I speak to someone new and they, they comment on the pronunciation. And one thing I'm very conscious of is that like the reaction that I get is very different from my Chinese American friends who read as full Chinese get when they when they speak Chinese or do something in Chinese culture. I have friends who've told me about how, you know, um, they're sort of expected to be able to do all of those things because they look Chinese. And when I play Yangqin, it looks like uh, oh my gosh, you're going back to your roots, how valiant of you. <laughs> and I chalk it up to an, a kind of white privilege or, or you know, hapa privilege is, is another way to say, you know, hapa is what we, a word we use for mixed Asians. And, um, you know, it's, it's fascinating how people read ethnicity and the expectations that they then have 
um, and how how that can totally reshape someone's relationship to their own culture. Because I, I have a lot of friends who would not want to study Chinese or would, you know, um, not want to kind of engage with Chinese culture. They want to distance themselves from it because they were so often kind of lumped together with it um, in, 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 in sometimes in a negative light. Whereas for me, I've never encountered that. Um, so it's something that... It, yeah, I've been very aware of for a long time. And it sounds like your experience, people should be careful to not make that such a novelty. You know, like people are making it a novelty. Um, and it's not that it isn't a wonderful, you know, um, achievement to be speaking Mandarin and to be in touch with traditional martial arts and traditional instruments, but um, to then carry that as an expectation for people who physically present as fully ethnically Han right away is not a fair expectation for all people, right? Um, yeah, and that's, exactly. that's That's something that a few of my friends have <laughs> pointed out or have been frustrated by. Um, and a few friends that don't speak Mandarin um, who were born in Canada have gone to China and people have started speaking to them and they're just they're like, no, I don't, I'm sorry. And then the people in China just have very little patience for them because they present mm-hmm. as if they should be speaking. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very interesting. And I want to, before we hear a sample of Yang Qin, I would like to ask a question that's rather serious. Um, and we can be completely honest, uh, whatever comfort level we have with this question. Um, what sort of negative stereotypes are we hearing these days? And I think it's important, um, the climate that we're living in right now, to actually call out some of these things and say, this is what we're hearing in the media. Um, please examine your facts. <laughs> Please think critically. Are there particular stereotypes that Tamgram is hearing in the media about Chinese culture, Chinese people, um, that you're addressing? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, the thing which comes to mind immediately and here, I, I think for this question, I, I speak for myself as opposed to all of Tamgram. Um, but naturally, it, it's to do with a response to COVID-19 and particularly... Um, in the UK media, which is what I'm ex- exposed to predominantly, the amount of sheer explicit racism that um, people who who look Chinese, they might not necessarily be Chinese, but people of East Asian um, visage um, have faced in the, in the last kind of eight, nine months has been absolutely shocking. Um, I think I, I read a stat that in 2017, the, um, the Chinese community in the UK uh, faced the highest amount of racism um, and that was three years ago and so I uh, it, it's hugely concerning and quite depressing really to think about how that stat would have only been worsened this year um, and kind of these attacks have been not only verbal but also physical and you know there's a lot of stuff being thrown around social media which you know stuff like the American president just calling it a Chinese virus and you know just labeling it as some kind of you know Chinese derived thing um, definitely fuels that flame in, in my view um, and so I think even even small things which you might consider oh they're just words they don't really matter they, they really can manifest in quite um, physical and really harmful ways and facing those words and microaggressions has been proven to have effects on people's physical health 
Um, it raises your cortisol level. It raises your stress level, your anxiety, your sadness. Um, in youth, it can lead to really tragic um, ideations of sadness, um, and it can be really quite impactful. Um, Raylan, do you have any thoughts on that question as well? Many. And I think one thing I want to highlight is just it has effects on the individual level, and then it also has effects on a systemic level. Um, and for me, my mind goes toward what's happening between China and the U.S. and the ways fearful, reductive public perceptions of another culture I believe, trickle up into the ways policymakers, diplomats, and world leaders behave and make decisions um, about their relationship with another country. And um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, close, closing embassies, executive orders against TikTok and WeChat. Yeah. I, I mean, and the irony to me about TikTok is that it's a bunch of American white teenagers shaking their booty all over. That's what TikTok is. A lot yeah. of it. <laughs> And TikTok isn't even, well, yeah, TikTok isn't even used in China. It's because the in China, the version is Douyin. Or, and, but anyway, there, yeah, there's so many layers, I think, of blindness and um, what um, I, I fear the most is a closing down of human-to-human -human channels of communication. And... Our hope is to open those channels through art and um, getting people to feel something, to connect with um, aspects of Chinese culture that they may not have known um, exist. And yeah, kind of create a proliferation of stories and connections and resonances to begin to kind of counteract this very dangerous, simplistic idea that there is a clear divide between two monolithic entities that are um, the West and, and, and China, which is just not the case. You know, the world is much more complex and fluid and connected than that. I've almost felt like we're back in the late 60s or early 70s of the Nixon era, Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of John Adams, Nixon in China. <laughs> I think I might rewatch it in this timely period. Um, and I really feel like it's like McCarthyism all over again. I, I'm just looking at things that I'm seeing. Um, and having been to China, I, I want to say like those two weeks changed my life completely. Um, I've done a fair amount of international travel, uh, particularly in Europe. And of course, you know, you take the picture of the shiny church and the amazing Italian meal or the, the Eiffel Tower. You, you do all these really um, very common things that people take pictures of. And I did a few of those common tourist things in China, too. But I actually lived with people in China. Some friends set me up with accommodation in every city uh, with people I didn't know. Um, all of whom spoke varying degrees of English, but I've never experienced such hospitality. I have never experienced um, 
feeling so secure to ask police for directions. I wouldn't ask police anything in North America right now, <laughs> just to be fair. Um, I felt very safe going up to anyone in China, showing my, or like a police officer, showing my little Baidu map and asking them to point. And they were very respectful and um, people were helpful and kind. And, um, you know, maybe it's, I, I recognize my passport privilege as a white Canadian woman in China. You know, they would have seen me as a guest and I, I do see that lens that they would have had for me. But I came back and I told people like, you know, China is about 25 years ahead of us with apps and technology. <laughs> Um, they are, you know, really working hard on their emissions in the environment. Um, and I felt like it was a life-changing experience. Um, and I will not forget my very midweek trip to the, to the um, Great Wall. I didn't want to go during the weekend because I would be too busy. And I went and there were only three people on the wall at the same site that I visited. So my pictures are almost an empty wall, and I felt a very vast spiritual connection to finally visiting that place. And um, I was overwhelmed to see the terracotta warriors, uh, just overwhelmed um, to see that these had been built in a time when, I don't know what technology they had then, but it's super impressive. And I, I do want to encourage our listeners to, to listen to Tangram's YouTube channel, um, follow their events. They are very reasonably priced. Uh, you can watch the event at any time if the British time zone doesn't quite work out. Um, and to consider what we're reading in the media, this is like a call to our audience to, to fact check, to check your biases. We're all working on it. Um, we all have our biases to consider and we have our lens that we're wearing, but um, I really appreciate the work that Tangram's doing because as soon as I saw that the 45th president had an executive order against WeChat, my first thought was, why are you afraid of this little app? <laughs> People are literally just sending videos and photos to their friends. It's, it's like WhatsApp, you know, um, and there's various points of evidence about information being shared, but I just thought to myself, it, it doesn't help people realize that these are just people living in the East, just like we're people living in the West. You know, uh, there's a common humanity there. Um, and nothing could express our humanity more than music. So Raylan, you're up. <laughs> what are you going to play for us? Great. I don't know. What do you want to hear? We would love to hear maybe two to three minutes of anything you would like to play for us. <laughs> Great. Um, so... I do just want to say, you know, I want to commend you for this very clear sense of curiosity and awe that you have for exploring a new place and a new culture. And that's something that um, I think is such a valuable human quality that I hope we can really preserve and um, maintain in our own lives, even if the way we connect with with people is through the internet, um, but that I think that's a, that's definitely a key ingredient to building a less um, reductive and, and divisive world. Well, when it is safe to do so, we will invite Tan Graham to perform in Vancouver, and we oh, will wonderful. we will. Thank you. We would love to. Yeah. We would love that. We'll apply for a big grant, 
and we'll get Alex to compose something or bring some of his compositions, and we will celebrate with meals at every point. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so this is the Yangqin, also known as the Chinese hammered dulcimer. It is a trapezoidal sound box with steel strings, 144 steel strings stretched, stretched across it, which I hit with these bamboo mallets. And it is a descendant of the Persian Santor, um, traveled to China along the Silk, route, uh, Silk Road and maritime trade routes. So it's um, a, a cultural, it's a culturally fluid instrument, and, and it's something that's really resonated with me as someone who's biracial. <laughs> so I will play a br uh, briefly a tune called Thunder After the Drought, Han Tian Lei. That's a little excerpt of um, one of the earlier pieces that I learned as a young tune player. It's a tune from southern China. Which province is it from? I believe it's from Guangdong. Guangdong, okay. Um, yeah, it's a it's a classic. It's beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Um, I just want to thank our guests, Raylan and Alex. Um, I can already tell that one day when we get to meet in person, when it's safe, we'll have great conversations over great food. <laughs> and um, we would like to let our audience know about your next performance. Tell us, what is your next performance? 
where can they get a ticket or access to watch it online? Great. So we have um, an exciting virtual concert with our newest artist, Chen Teng, who is a brilliant Shanghai Conservatory trained Arhu player. So the Arhu is the two string violin that some people in Western cities may have seen um, street, for, street performers play. And this will be a concert that shows you the full virtuosic range of one of China's most recognizable instruments. So there's going to be a combination of traditional Chinese pieces from like millennia ago to more modern Chinese pieces from the 20th century to brand new um, compositions by Shruti Rajasekhar and Robin Haig, who are um, some wonderful composers based here in London and um, Shruti in Minnesota. And uh, it's happening a week from Saturday, um, September 5th at 5 p.m. London time, which, Jennifer, what time is that in Vancouver? It's nine o'clock in San Francisco in Vancouver. Great. Thank you. Um, and you can get tickets by going to tangramsound.com or following us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Tangram Sound, and we've got the links on our social media profiles. Um, we would love to see you there. It's going to be a really lovely concert. Really looking forward. I will go grab my ticket once we're done this podcast. It has been a, a true pleasure. I, I'm really impressed by um, how you're getting people to think critically about identity and um, to challenge lumping people into one group. <laughs> um, I think right now is a very polarized time in the world where we are lumping people into groups. Um, and I've been talking to a lot of American friends about their upcoming election, um, gasping in horror. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm Canadian, so I'm allowed to have strong opinions. <laughs> Raylan, you, you probably still have a U.S. passport, so be careful. Or don't be careful. You know what? Fifth Amendment. You can speak if you exactly. want. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I have friends that are supporting different spectrums in the states of, of the political spectrum. And um, at first, it was, it was a bit incredulous. But I think having open dialogue and meeting people's humanity on both sides is so important. Um so I've really appreciated this. This has been fantastic. And we'll get a copy of this recording to you on YouTube so that um, viewers from Tangram can see it. If you have a mailing list, you could send the, the podcast to them. So good luck with your performance. Uh, Jayo. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you for so having much, us. Jennifer. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. It was a blast. Have a great evening in London. Thanks again. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye.